0: Coming up today on The Story.
1: So I was in over 30 hospitals, padded cells, I was on drugs to get out of bed, drugs to go to bed, smashing up places, attacking nurses, you know, real bag of marbles I was, you know, and uh, it was the alcohol was the number one issue in my life. The Story. The Story.
0: G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, Kevin Mad Dog Mudford was one of New Zealand's most notorious jailbirds in the 1970s, and he also spent time in several psychiatric hospitals. However, his life turned around in an amazing way when he eventually put his faith in the Lord, and he's been living on the road for over 35 years. We'll find out why and how he's got the name Mad Dog as he has a chat with Eric Scatterton.
2: Kevin Mad Dog Mudford, welcome to the program. Great to be here, Eric. Glad to have you with us. And for the benefit of our listeners, I think we should describe your appearance. I saw some photos of you on Facebook, kind of a bikey kind of look with the the tattoos, even one tattoo on your forehead. Is that a safe way to describe you?
1: Yeah, I've got a few tattoos, which is quite popular today. I've got one on my head up there, and uh, it says, Jesus is Lord. I've got them up the arms too, but some are prison ones, and some I've added to fix up the prison ones. Oh, okay. And uh, you also kind of dress in bikey clothes with the leather jacket and all that? Oh, I used to. I was on bikes for years, uh, not these days, and uh, I haven't been on a Harley now for over two years, but uh, I dressed in a lot of leather and stuff over the years, but uh, that season's finished.
2: Yeah, well, you used to have a big, long beard, like a bikey kind of tough guy, but uh, I guess you've shaved that off recently.
1: I have, yeah. When you get on Harleys, it's like you get around other bikers. They've all got beards, and so you grow it. But of course, I've gotten older, a bit grayer, so I shave my head and no no whiskers, so I still look reasonably young. <laughs> what I what got. We're
2: going to find out your story today, but unfortunately, it didn't start off too well. It was pretty rough growing up in New Zealand. Is that right?
1: Oh, absolutely, Eric. And uh, broken home, absent father. My father was a World War II POW he came back, had eight children, and, uh, was unable to, uh, communicate. And, uh, and so, uh, so he was a he prisoner, was there of for he was, prisoner of war. He was. German of war camps for three, three and a half years, yeah. So did that kind of leave so, him traumatized? Is that why he couldn't oh, relate no to you? Oh, no doubt guys? about it. Absolutely. He came back and, uh, had huge problems. And, uh, and so, you know, no hugs, there's no encouragement, no nothing. And, uh, he just wasn't there when we needed him. Hmm. Absent. Yeah. I thought that was normal
0: until oh, okay. you get into
1: trouble and years later you, you, you work out where things went wrong and uh, alcohol and uh, dust on the Bible, bashings and stuff, you know, all that stuff was going on and, uh, yeah, dysfunction big time. And how did you react to this troubled home life? I hated home and uh, I wanted to hit the streets, and uh, which I did, escaped out the window at night time and... Uh, Went on burglary sprees and um, hung out with all my mates down there, um, smoking, drinking and uh, listening to rock music of my day and uh, hated home. I, I just wanted to sleep and live with all my street kid mates of the day, stiffing glue, the whole lot. Hated home. Couldn't stand it. It actually wasn't home. It was just a place to live. Well, what about your mother? What was your relationship with your mother like? None really. She she had to raise uh, eight children, Eric, and uh, so she was struggling too. And she mm. smoked and drank and swore. And uh, she was a tough lady. And uh, she tried to get my father to uh, be more of an assistance. But of course, back in those days, um, they, they weren't. There wasn't those uh, facilities around to educate parents on how to get a better deal. And uh, so, uh, but again, I put the blame back squarely on my father. He was unable to uh, to cope. Hmm. He did his best of what he had, but uh, fell short. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so emotionally absent, it sounds like. And tell us about the time when you were 14 years old and you were at the courthouse.
1: Okay, I was in the courthouse there one day getting ready to be locked up and a real scary place of a lot of adults around me. And uh, my father was there. And I remember the magistrate saying to my father, can't you control him. And my father says, I've done my best. And I thought, that's not true. Hmm. And anyway, the judge uh, sentenced me to a real scary social welfare home. And my father um, just walked straight out the door, no hugs, no, I love you, no nothing, and just left. He must have been pretty shattered too. And uh, yeah, so I thought, oh, good, he's out of my life now. And uh, so it was a pretty lonely shattering existence standing alone before that magistrate in the children's court. Absolutely. Wow, so that just really made a strong impression
2: on your heart that you're just not loved. Is that how you felt?
1: Yeah, well I was pretty wild back in those days, Eric, and you know, all I wanted to be was get out there with my mates and uh get wasted, do bergs and uh I hated my parents, I hated home, I hated authority, I hated the whole thing out there. And uh so back in those days I was being uh shuffled around uh uh, boys' homes and kids' homes. So in some way, it was exciting because of my age and where I was at. But in other ways there, um I was really uh, a pretty messed up, screwed up, broken kid. Absolutely. No help back in those days. Mm. You see like they have today. Yeah. And then drugs and
2: alcohol entered into your life as well?
1: Oh, alcohol, yeah. Drank to get drunk, uh, Eric. I became a teenage alcoholic and... Uh, I woke up in gutters. I woke up in parks, blackouts, and uh, I couldn't remember where I was. And uh, uh, the only way I knew how to drink was drink to get drunk. That was me. Loved alcohol, loved getting wasted, the whole lot out there. And uh, I would have become a, an alcoholic from the, the first drink, no doubt about it whatsoever. Hmm. And again, I ran with other young kids like me who got wasted. who would come from the same broken homes also. And so you ended up in uh, several social welfare homes? I was in uh, four social welfare homes where I was beaten, bashed, and uh, in one place I was made to scrub my arms with uh, pumice stone to get the ink out of my arms when I tattied myself. Uh, I was uh bashed, and what they would use is sleep deprivation. If you oh, went wow. to sleep, they bashed you in the head, made you to stay awake. Now I'm 13, 14 years of age, and uh, welfare homes back in those days were um, unlicensed places, uh Uh, authoritarian and they got away with stuff that they could never get away with today. Yeah, so absolutely brutal, shocking treatment. But you were allowed to go out for your birthday, is that right? Yeah, Eric. One day I had the opportunity to get out of that terrible place that I was in and uh, my mother and father came around in in an old car and uh, and I thought, oh, it's my birthday. It was my 14th birthday and I thought, I wonder what I'm going to get my birthday. As I got in the back of the old car, my mother turned around with an open bag of minties. And uh, and I wasn't one to shiny emotions. And I thought, is this all I'm worth? You know, I'm in this rotten social welfare home. It's my one day out and all I'm getting is a bag of minties. I don't even think my father wished me a happy birthday. No hugs, no nothing at all. And uh, And I got out for the day from that terrible place. And that was my birthday present. One opened bag of Minties. Wow. So obviously your heart's at this point feeling
2: pretty empty and uh, abandoned, would you say?
1: Oh, absolutely, because I uh, just kept on going the way I was going and, uh, you know, breaking into shops and stuff like that, stealing where I could. Again, I was on a a pathway to prison, and, and at 15 years of age, I... I broke out of a boys' detention centre, nearly killed a man, and uh, found myself before the magistrate courts again. And uh, then I spent uh, sent down to a uh, a big youth prison in Invercargill, and I was locked up down there uh, a lot of the time in punishment cells for nearly nineteen months. And then eventually, you ended up in psychiatric
2: hospitals. How did that happen?
1: Well, I was in uh, I was in seven New Zealand prisons. I terrorised jails. I was. uh, lighting fires and attacking prison wardens and it just really off my head, basically, and uh, hated authority. Was that because of the anger in your heart? I hated authority. I, I detested people in uniforms. Mm-hmm. I really did, because I'd seen what they can do to you. And so uh up and down the land of NZ, then uh, OD'd in Wellington, New Zealand, ate a poison toadstool, washed it down to bottle of gin, woke up in the pound, and then from that Day onwards, I entered the mental psychiatric hospital system looking for uh, recovery. I was a, an alcoholic and on drugs. So did you actually have a mental illness
2: or was it more the alcohol and the drugs that were making you act in crazy ways?
1: Oh, yeah, look, I wasn't mental at all. I was what they call a, uh, a professional mental health patient. In other words, I went looking for a mental illness I never had huh. and uh, because I wouldn't accept the fact that the drink and the drugs was the issue, and oh. so I'd pl- yeah, so I'd play up to convince the uh, the doctors that I really had mental problems, so they'd keep me a bit longer, you know. But the fact of the matter was that um, I had a loneliness problem, hmm. which only Jesus could fill, of course, yeah. and. uh so I was in over 30 hospitals, padded cells, I was on drugs to get out of bed, drugs to go to bed, uh, again, smashing up places, attacking nurses, the whole deal, slashing my wrists open one time. You know, real bag of marbles I was, you know. And uh, again, it was the alcohol was the number one issue in my life.
0: You're listening to The Story, Today, Kevin Mad Dog Mudford is sharing his colourful life journey. We'll find out what happened once he decided to follow Jesus when we return. The Story If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. We're continuing with Eric Scatterbo chatting with Kevin Mad Dog Mudford. Before the break, we heard about his troubled childhood growing up in New Zealand and spending time in jails and psychiatric hospitals. Now, we're going to hear about the next chapter in his life and how he eventually
1: decided to follow Jesus. Fifteen years of age, I got invited to a uh, prison Bible study in Invercargill Jail, uh, put on by a born-again Catholic priest, and he was the first person who shared Jesus with me. Mm. But the years I spent in jails, I'd go to prison chapel services, and I'd get to hear the, the message of salvation. But, of course, uh, until I was ready to change, there was just nowhere to go. Um, again, the mental hospitals, I ran into Christians who came in to try and help us. But, again, I wasn't prepared to uh, swap my grog for a Bible. Didn't want to change at that point. No, well, I was only my 20, 23, 24 years of age over those years when I was in the mental hospitals. And uh, again, I love me alcohol, I love me marijuana, I love me pill-taking. When I say I love it, I just love to get wasted. I love me music, you see. And mm. uh, And being a Christian really didn't seem like a fun place to be, hanging out in church. Just wasn't
2: me. If you were inside these institutions, how were you able to have the drugs, or was that when you were out?
1: Oh, when I got out there, but, uh, of course you can smuggle them in and, uh, there were times I got wasted in, 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 jail and, uh, but most of my issues were when I got out. Cause when I got out, a little bit of money, bang, you, you hit the, the booze and there's always someone out there with pills and weed, you know, hmm. how it all rolls out there. And of course, when I'd get loaded with it, with the booze and the drugs, you don't care, you know, you forget yeah. about the pain and you get, you get and do some dumb things.
2: Yeah. So it sounds like as a young adult, you were mad at the world and kind of self-medicating with the the drugs and the booze.
1: Oh, absolutely, you know. Uh you see when I was a kid, the only thing I did well was play up, mm. you know. And my report card said when things aren't going Kevin's way, Kevin plays up, so I'd play up. That that gave me the center of attention that I never got when I was a kid, you see. Mm. So everything's all back to front, you see, you know. Oh, okay. So when I just doing the booze, you know, normal mates out there uh that same behavior flowed again, you see, and uh center of attention, you know. How many wacky things can uh Kevin Mad Dog do this weekend, you know? And uh it's like a competition. Oh, at this point I guess we should ask
2: you, how did you get the nickname Mad Dog, although I think it's becoming quite apparent.
1: Yeah, well it was just mad actually, you know, mm. and uh my behavior well yeah, when I when I found the Lord, I, I did a lot of uh work in high school, so I became mad dog because when I go speak in schools, so I wanted kids to remember my name, you see, you know, and, uh, and so, uh, the mad dog bit kind of stuck and that's kind of how I was known because that's how I identified myself and, uh, because I really was mad, but not mad. Quite, I'm quite intelligent actually. <laughs> and, uh, but it's just how I was. I was super rebellious. Okay. So you in your young adult years.
2: Things aren't looking too well at this point for all the reasons that you've mentioned. How does God finally come into your life?
1: Oh, nothing short of miraculous, Eric. I could have spent the last 37 years of my life behind bars. I have friends still in jail today hmm. that were in jail when I was 15 years of age. Well, miracle, really. End of the road, 25 and a half years of age, locked up in a psychiatric hospital. A lady wrote to me one day and told me that my own brother had gotten sober through AA, had then found Jesus. And so I thought, and it's amazing. Hmm. My own brother, same story, same background, has become a reborn Christian, found the Lord. Really captivated me. So I managed to uh, wheel and deal and get out of that mental hospital that I was in, traveled down to Napier, New Zealand. I wanted to check out whether my brother's life had really changed. And he was on fire for the Lord. And I thought, wow, this stuff really must be real. But what forced me into the church, Eric, was I had the drinking problem, you see. And I realized that uh, unless I got rid of the grog out of my life, Mm -hmm. um, I would be locked up for the rest of my life, die an early death, or be confined to a mental hospital for years to come. So the motivating factor for me to give my life to Jesus, one was my brother, two was this drinking issue. And, uh, and so I surrendered my life to the Lord. And I tell you what, God got a hold of me and started doing miracles from day one. Wow. Did you go to AA? Yeah, I, I've, I've, uh, been to AA. I, I preached and shared in AA for 37 and a half years. I've just recently retired from attending AA. And, uh, yeah, so, um, yep, 37 and a half years attending AA meetings, sometimes five nights a week. Wow. So you give your life to the Lord. Then what happens next in your life? I gave my life to the Lord there and adjusted myself to this little uh, Pentecostal church I was in. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I realized that uh, the people in there were fair dinkum people who had real stories. So I went around talking to them all. I wanted to know what they were doing there and what their story was. And I heard some amazing stories in there, not so much like mine, but they had their own stories. Mm -hmm. But I could see that these people really cared, and they became my extended family. And then one Sunday night, I went forward there to get prayed for. And i tell you what, uh, the Lord spoke to me, and he said to me that I'd come home, and he got me. And he's going to turn me into a, 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 an evangelist and, uh, and it's going to send me back to all the places that I was once in. So I thought, wow, how is he going to do that? Hmm. Well, there was a little old lady in the church who came up to me and gave me a lend of her car. And so my prison ministry began in 1981. I saw miracles before my eyes. I saw God take me back into every boy's home, every mental hospital, every prison. Um, for years and years, it just blew me out what he could do. And that's what encouraged me to keep on going when the going got tough. Wow. And so, did you go to Bible school? Did you get some training? Well, I did actually. It was quite funny, really, because, you know, uh, when I went to Bible college, uh, I was there for the right reasons, but I found myself reflecting on my, uh, playing up at high school days, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. But I, I did a year at Bible college, uh, Raymer, I did on mm-hmm. the, on the Gold Coast, actually. And, uh, but I, I went to church every night of the week, AA meetings every night of the week. I went to Bible studies, prayer meetings, church services. I immersed myself in the things of God there, and I realized that uh, God's Bible, the Word, was so real. Because I got bored again, you see, yeah. it just made sense to me, and um, just the scriptures came alive to me. And, uh, and off I went, preaching, evangelizing, street preaching, uh just miraculous. Even right up till today, I, I was at Macca's this morning, Eric, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, ministering to a, uh, a young street lady, uh, gave her 50 bucks for some, uh, uh to help her out just this morning. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, it, it just never stops. And, yeah. uh, uh, the ministry just yesterday we, we 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 bought breakfast for a lady who was a, a bag lady nothing old lady sleeping in the park and uh, 37 and a half years God has just taken me to people like me and it's just kept on going and going and going it never stops just amazes me now I forgot
2: to ask you how did you get from New Zealand to Australia.
1: America, actually via America I had a dream to go to America right? and uh, and uh, well God opened up a door with uh, Kenneth Copeland Kenneth mm-hmm. Copeland bought me a motor home and sent me to America and out of that 21 years ago came the tribe of Judah well on my way back I got kicked out of Australia back to New Zealand to get my passport sorted out and uh, and, and in New Zealand they gave me a, um, a re-entry visa and I was able to get back into Australia mm-hmm. so that's what happened <laughs> via America
2: Oh, that's interesting. And so
1: you've been on the road just living in a caravan, is that right? My wife and I, yep, 37 years on the road, uh, full-time, Raise our own support. Uh, We received no welfare, no sentiment payments, no wages, no nothing. Uh, God looks after us via the church. Uh, He said to me, don't go looking for the money, the money will follow you. And after two years have been saved, um, I hit the road as an evangelist and uh, an off I've been. And 28 years around Australia, uh, working in every conceivable place you could imagine and uh, carrying crosses. Thousands of meetings have been amongst the Aboriginals, a whole lot, Northern Territory, Thursday Islands. Vanuatu, Fiji, Solomon wow. Islands, but most of the work here in Australia, doing the hard yards, absolutely, living anywhere, sleeping anywhere, paying the bills on time, uh, living within our own means, you know, as yeah. a, as the Lord has supplied, and uh, paying the price, absolutely.
2: So you are now a traveling evangelist, and some of your ministry is conventional, in other words, you preach in churches, but some of it is unconventional that you carry around a large life-size cross on the street.
1: Yeah, well, that's right. i um done it for many years. Again, I met an American evangelist, Arthur Blessett, 1986, and uh, he's the one that inspired me to do it. And I did that for many years, and after the bashing 10 years ago, I stopped for eight oh, years. Tell us about then, what happened 10 years ago. Oh, 10 years ago, I was speaking down in Morissette there in a, in a Christian uh, meeting for addicts, mm-hmm. and uh, AA meeting it was actually, half guest speaker. And um, as I walked out there, a man came up behind me and uh, bashed me five times over the head with a brick. And uh, so I was nearly killed. I spent uh, 10 days in hospital, brain injury the whole lot, uh, sad time really. But I came through it all, got back up on the horse and uh, rode again for Jesus, yeah. And then I picked up the cross two and a half years ago in Bowen, walked into a speaker at a Baptist church, saw a cross in the corner there, and Jesus spoke to me, and he said to me, I want you to carry a cross again. And so I spent the last two and a half years dragging my cross right across Australia. We take it out in the highways, and I've walked thousands of kilometers from town to town, and that's what we do. And I just got a brand new cross. Big, heavy thing it is, and I've uh, been dragging it up and down uh, the Gold Coast, talking to people about Jesus. Mm. Just telling people about Jesus. Oh, yeah, well, because uh, they see the cross coming, and, uh, and it draws out people that want to have a talk. So uh, I'm not banging people up on street corners with the Bible. Mm. Uh, people who want to talk to me, up they come. And I meet them all out there. I meet cancer patients, drug addicts, uh, religious people I meet, all sorts of people from all around the world, people who want to talk. It's my fishing line. Yeah, Yeah. Works real well. It's hard work. I'm 63, but God made me strong.
2: Amen. Well, unfortunately, we're running out of time, but any final comments about people's lives you've touched over the years?
1: Oh, well, I reckon that, uh, well, I've been married for 32 years, and the greatest relationship and test of all time is living with another human being. And uh so the greatest miracle really, apart from finding Jesus, Eric has been living with my wonderful wife for 32 years. You know, we bleed for the first 15 years. We fought like cats and dogs, mm-hmm. Eric, and uh for control. <laughs> and I just want to say that um, without Jesus, look, I wouldn't have married me. <laughs> and so, but 32 years have been married on the road. And, uh, Love one another, helping one another, and uh, it's just amazing. And, uh, and again, uh, the opportunity to minister and help people right across this world, not as an egotistical thing, but just sharing my story, you know. Mm-hmm. Prevention's better than cure, telling the truth. I love telling this story I, mm-hmm. because there's so much rubbish in the world, so much, so much false I mean every time you pick up the um, the paper you know you got Prince Harry in there <laughs> not knocking Prince Harry but I thought you know there's more to life than Prince Harry you know and, uh, and I think the world needs to hear more real life stories so I'm always encouraging Christians to pick up your testimony you have a story to tell and go and find someone out there who needs to hear it Wow thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. Thank you Eric appreciate that
0: that was Eric Scadabo chatting with travelling evangelist Kevin Mad Dog Mudford and what an amazing transformation has occurred in his life. Kevin put his faith and trust in Jesus and has found that Jesus has never let him down and he can do the same for you. If you'd like someone to pray with and introduce you to faith in Jesus, our prayer line is one pray for me That's one 772 936 and we would love to pray for you and have a chat on one 772936. As the Bible says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. Finally, if you would like to contact Mad Dog, you can look him up on Facebook. He'd love to hear from you. Just look up Kevin Mudford on Facebook. Well, thanks for joining us for Kevin's incredible story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. I ended up sharing with my
2: mum and dad, actually, a little bit. I was always a bit scared to say to them, hey, I'm a Christian, because I thought they'll come and sort of say all these things to me, and they might point the finger at all the stuff that I've done wrong. But um, they didn't. They actually embraced me, and they showed me that the reason why I had done all those things is because I was looking for hope in other places.
0: Morag Payton was raised in a Christian family but ran as far away from God as she could get. But remarkably, she would still tell other people they needed Jesus. She eventually got to a dark place in her life where she called out to God herself. We'll hear more Ag's story next time. The story, story. just another way vision is connecting faith to life. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.